Good morning. My name is John Santa. Perhaps some of you may know my wife, Irene, maybe. <laughs> I often refer to her as my first wife. She prefers I refer to her as my trophy wife. She is a prize, that's for sure. But in any event, all kidding aside, I want to first of all thank you all for being a wonderful, welcoming faith community for my trophy wife, but also for our wonderful son, Devin, our great daughter-in-law, known as Deacon Beth, our precious granddaughters, Heidi and Alyssa, as well as our occasionally spiritually oriented daughter, Kirsten, our wonderful daughter, Kirsten. So that said, it's truly a great honor to be here with you today and to be given this opportunity to deliver this message. And uh, I hope you find it even a little bit stimulating, provocative, interesting. And it begins with this. It begins with when our children, Devin and Kirsten, were small, we had video games. They were just emerging. We used to play Odyssey, Pong, Space Invaders, and played them all. Come a long way since those happy little games. Today's video games is a multi-billion dollar industry. And the culture of the games and our American culture has changed a lot because today we have great proponents of video games with themes of violence, fear, harm, personal assault, as illustrated by one of the most popular recurrent genre with the name, perhaps you've heard of it, Call of Duty. It's a real tour de force in gratuitous killing and mayhem, and it's sold 30 million copies. Wow. A young man named Adam Lanza was a devotee of the Call of Duty video game. He played it obsessively. He, as we know, felt a strong personal call of duty, didn't he? Thanks to his loving but unthinking, imprudent mother, he also had an AR-15 rifle. To those of you unfamiliar with the world of firearms, an AR-15 is a killing machine originally designed for the military, which the gun industry currently euphemistically refers to as a modern sporting rifle. It may interest you to know, furthermore, that one in 20 Americans own at least one AR-15. So when Adam received his personal call to duty, you all know what he did, December 12th, December 14, 2012, he used the shiny new AR-14 to commit slaughter. Ouch. Wow. Well, October 31st, 1517, there was yet another call to duty. Very different. Because that was the day the young Augustinian priest and college professor named Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the, on the door of the, of the cathedral at Wittenberg. He was inspired also, not by vicious video games, but rather by a burning sense that something was not right in his world and in the religious faith tradition that he was then following. He had several concerns and grievances. He particularly noted that when all, within all the religiosity and ritual of the then prevailing Roman church, the basic concepts like the golden rule, do unto others as you have them do unto yourself, was being lost. His core conviction, which placed him firmly in opposition to church hierarchy, was that he did not need the church to interpret God's biblical messages to us. We individuals could 
directly received and act upon the grace of God's redemption. However, his call to duty placed him in a very precarious position. He'd be branded a heretic, and therefore be destined to be burned at the stake, as were most all heretics that preceded him. As fate would have it, Martin Luther survived the expected retribution for his heretical position on church dogma. His was an idea whose time had come. And with it, Protestantism took hold in many variant forms. And by 1535, King Henry VIII of England did so of his own spiritual interpretation and founded the Church of England. It was essentially the Roman Catholic Church in form and practice, but this one, his church, would be headed by him the King of England, rather than by any Pope. Too many English people, that was just fine, and honestly, they really didn't have much of a choice, did they? They subscribed to what the King said, and that was that. But there was another subset of the English population for whom that would really not do. They were called separatists. They wanted their own religious practice, without the control of a hierarchy, either from Rome or from London. They wanted to run their own faith tradition. Persecution for those beliefs eventually drove them all to Holland, where they were most appreciative of the liberal-minded Holland people who tolerated and encouraged their separatist belief, but they were concerned about losing their English culture. So their religious separatist zeal and simple logic led them to migrate to the English colonies in their own ship, the Mayflower. Such was their call to duty in 1619. They went to the New World, to the English colonies, in order to found, to form, to live by their own religion. They called themselves pilgrims, and inasmuch as their church was governed and operated by the people who congregated there, their church was known as the Congregational Church. By 1639, these people had migrated to the seacoast of Connecticut colony. In that area, there were some very well-found or fair fields it also had an excellent sheltered harbor, suitable for commercial activity. And so that is where they located their church, the Congregational Church. In the fullness of time, given their experience and ability at self-governance, they formed a political entity there and named it after that unique and abundant topographical feature, Fairfield. But first they started the church, then they started the town. With great effort and galvanic determination, they answered their call to duty. The concept of self-governance was abounding throughout the colonies at that time. What had started as being unique thinking in the Congregational Church early 17th century eventually became much more broadly accepted. And so, in 1776, with America's Declaration of Independence and the ensuing struggle for freedom and self-determination, it became mainstream thinking. Now, here we are. 500 years after Luther, 400 years after the Separatists, 250 years after Thomas Jefferson, and now it's Lady Sunday, 2023. Here we are, living in our secular materialistic world. On one side are mass shootings, violence, hatred, war, rancor, division, chaos. On the other side, there's only uh, you and me and some concept that we call the golden rule. This so-called golden rule, which is common to nearly all faith traditions in the world, is largely attributed to Hillel the Elder, a famous first century Jewish religious sage 
scholar. He put it this way. That which is hateful to you, do not do unto your fellow. That is the whole Torah. The rest is explanation. So my question for all of us this morning is, is this our call to duty? It doesn't look like much to me. Is that really all we have in our spiritual arsenal to face the intimidating negative power of our world? If so, what does it look like today? Right now, right here. Well, if we were to ask Martin Luther, my guess is given our mutual Christian recognition that we are doing what we do in this life in order to attain righteous position in the next one, he probably suggests we look to the gospel. The Gospel of Matthew, to chapter 25, verse 31. That passage describes what it will be like when the Son of Man comes as a king to judge us all for our activities in this world in order to separate the laity of this world into either the righteous Christian sheep or the selfish, godless goats in the next world. Within this passage of Matthew's Gospel, things get fairly simple when he says, I was hungry. You fed me. I was naked. You clothed me. A stranger. You welcomed me. Sick or in prison. You visited me. Now to me, that sounds like a very direct call to duty. But one that's much easier to say than to do. Why? Because it's really a call to serve the marginalized. Poor, the addicted, the homeless, mentally ill, strangers from strange lands who do not speak our language or look like us or dress like us or even worship as we do. But we, being Christians, or at least being people who want to act like Christians, we seek guidance. We seek symbolism, and therefore we look to the cross. Wow. We look at the obvious contradictions in our world. The world says, this is the way it will be and will always be. Christ says, no, it will go this way. The world says violence and hatred is in the nature of mankind. Christ says, no, follow the compassionate ways of the Gospel of Matthew. The world says the gold rules. Christ says, utilize the golden rule. The world says, me first. The cross says, you first. It's so simple. And it's also too much. We can't fix Palestine and Israel. We can't fix the migration issues around the world, let alone in America. We can't fix poverty. But we can do something, if not by us, the laity, then by whom? If not now, then when? Is it, our call to, it is our call to duty, isn't it? Consider this story. <clears throat> the immigration issues relative to the country of El Salvador have 80-year-old deep pernicious roots in grinding poverty, governmental instability, free and violence. Like Luther, the Roman Catholic bishop, Archbishop of El Salvador, Oscar Romero, also heard and responded to this personal call to duty. His call for him to stand up in solidarity with the poor and oppressed people of his country. While that position ultimately cost him his life, he left us with a reflection which may help to put our individual personal call to duty as laity in perspective. 
It's entitled Prophets of a Future Not Our Own. It goes like this. This is what we are about. We plant seeds that will one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they will hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that, pro that produces far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. There's a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it's a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter in and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that's the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Those of you who know me at all uh, well know that I've worked for 25 years in the area of criminal justice reform. It is certainly a worthy cause with a deep need for reformation along the lines of Matthew's gospel. And by the way, Dave Stewart will be leading a very informative session on this in the second hour. I urge you all to attend. However, that just happens to be my personal call to duty. There are many similar and very worthy causes awaiting each and every one of us as Christian laity right now, right here, today. So I say unto you, grab a shovel, pick a pile. We got a new world to build. Let's go. Amen.